Well, if you are perhaps visiting with us today or if you are new among us, we are partway through a series uh, called Re. Now, when the world is Re, is that even a word? Well, if you're curious, go back to week one and you'll hear all about that, if it actually is a word or not. But each, each title in this series is a word that begins, oh, sorry, thank you. I was skipping one. Sarita, Miss Sarita's here. Children, I, usually you're dismissed well before this, but kids, you're itching to get out of here. So follow Miss Sarita to your classrooms if you're visiting with us. Uh, she can lead you to the children's area and help you get registered there with your kids. But there we go. Now I can get back into the service. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, each, each week in the series, we have a, a, a title that starts with an R-E word. And what we've been doing is looking at the 12 disciples on how Jesus first initially called them together as kind of a band of motley men who who come from different backgrounds, unique personalities and experiences, and from that calling point A to point B, when he ascended and gave them the Great Commission, something changed with them. They're, they're reformed, remade, uh, re-envisioned to go forth and to carry the gospel to all the world. And so we're taking the opportunity to look at one disciple per week and part of that transformation that took place in them. And so today, we have the opportunity to talk about the Apostle Thomas. Now, chances are good that if you have ever heard a message on Thomas, you know what Thomas is known for. And so what is, we think of Thomas as the doubter, right? Doubting Thomas. He is infamous for that. And there really, there's no way around it because the truth is the passage that talks about him being a doubter is a big part of his story. What it's done, however, it's, it's put us in a position where we quite often paint him and, and characterize him in a negative light. And I think that to some degree has actually seeped into our church of today as well, in the, in the greater church where it's driven present-day doubters underground. But I want to share a secret with you today. I want to share a secret with you, something we don't talk about in church very often, something that might make you feel a little uncomfortable to admit, but Christians have doubts. Did you know that? Christians have doubts from time to time. It's going to happen that Christians will have doubts from, from time to time. I've even had some doubts myself. Now, as I say that, perhaps you feel like I'm letting the cat out of the bag on your secret because there's a good chance that, well, that you've had doubts at some point along the journey as well. But you know what? The problem's worse than that. It, it, the problem is that it's bigger than just Christians having doubts because did you know that other people of other faiths have doubts too? Yeah, even people who are Muslims or Sikhs or Jehovah's Witnesses, they have doubts as well. Even people who have no faith have doubts in these moments of questions in their lives as well. People with faith might question and have doubts such as, well, what if there is no God? Then, then what have I been orientating my life towards? People who have no faith might think, well, holy smokes, what if there is? What if there is a God? Then what? You see, some of us, more than others, will have doubts. Some people seem to be constantly plagued by them. Others, they tend to creep up during situational moments, especially difficult, hard, trying situations that lead us to ask questions. And those questions sometimes are related to doubts. But to some degree, all of us will have these moments of question. To some degree, all of us can relate to Thomas as a doubter. But I also want to suggest to you today that there is much more to Thomas than him just being a doubter. And I want to ask you if you could possibly consider, is it conceivable that doubting could be a good thing? Is there some sort of a silver lining that could exist within doubting? Is there an upside? Is there a purpose that can be found in doubting? Well, as we examine a fuller understanding of the account of Thomas, 
It's my hope that we will come to see that, first of all, doubting in and of itself is not a sin. But we do need to do the hard work of resolving those doubts. And that if we who have doubts, or those who are maybe not even among us yet in the world, but are seeking Jesus Christ for the first time and have doubts, if all of us are going to resolve those doubts, if we're all going to find answers to those questions, then we have a responsibility to create a safe place where those doubts can be expressed. So there's lots that we can learn from Thomas, more than just doubting. There's a deeper understanding that we can gain from him. So who was Thomas? Well, Thomas informally is referred to as Doubting Thomas, as we all know. And this comes from a time when he would not believe that Jesus Christ had been resurrected from the dead until he saw it for himself. And we read about this in John chapter 20, where after, shortly after the death and burial of Jesus Christ, there's reports of his resurrection swirling throughout Jerusalem. And the disciples have locked themselves into a room a few days later, and, and one evening, Jesus appears among them. Now, they're a little freaked out by this, because the last time they saw him, he was hanging on a cross. But he appears to them, and he calms them down, he goes, he calms them down, and he says, guys, it's me. And he shows them his hands, where, where the nail holes were. He shows them his side, where the spear had pierced his side. And they become overjoyed, because their resurrected Jesus is there with them, but Thomas isn't. But the next time they see Thomas, they report to Thomas. They say, say, hey, we have seen the Lord. He's alive. And Thomas refuses to believe them, though. He refuses to believe them. These ten trusted men that he has spent the last three and a half years of his life with, his ten trusted brothers, he will not believe them. Instead, he says to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I can put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He doubts the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then one week later... Jesus appears to them all again, and this time Thomas is there. And Jesus says to Thomas, touch the holes in my hand. Feel the wound in my side. And he says, stop doubting and start believing. To which Thomas explains, exclaims, my Lord and my God. This is what we know Thomas best for. This is where his nickname comes from, from this time of doubting. But I want to suggest to you that there's so much more to him. Because he's following this encounter with his risen Savior, it propelled him into a long, extensive ministry that took the gospel to the far reaches of the known world. It is well recorded what happened with Thomas's ministry following the ascension of Jesus Christ as he went out to preach and to teach. He went as far as down into India, into southeast, southwest India, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, where he encountered a group of, of Jewish people who had, who had settled there, and he baptized many of them. He started a Christian movement among them. They had formed a church. And for 20 years of ministry, they spread the good news throughout that region. Now, after 20 years of ministry, some soldiers got together, and they killed him by running him through with spears. But by this point, the church had been established. And, and they had been so established to the point where they were sending missionaries out from that church to other countries, to other far reaches of the known world, to the point where churches were planted by this community in places like modern-day Afghanistan and modern-day northern Iraq, is how far their reach went from that. Not the legacy that you would expect from a skeptical follower of Jesus Christ. But if doubting was the only attribute he had, then, then perhaps like me, when you've thought about Thomas in the past, you've pictured a man who was so plagued by questions and so plagued by doubts that, that it rendered him ineffective. But that's absolutely not the case. 
Because as we'll see through some other passages that refer to Thomas, he had many more other characteristics aside from just doubting. Many other good attributes. For example, the, the attribute of courage. Have you ever thought of referring to Thomas as a man of courage? That, that doesn't seem to, to match up with a person who's a doubter, but before he was ever labeled a doubter, before he ever had that nickname, he's actually presented in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, of a man of, de- of great devotion and a man of daring courage. We find this, for example, in John 11. John chapter 11. And this is a time when Jesus is walking with his disciples and he hears about the fatal illness of a friend of his, a friend named Lazarus. And Jesus loves Lazarus and wants to go to him to be with him during this time of illness. But Lazarus lives in Bethany, which required Jesus and his disciples to travel back through Judea. And the last time they were in Judea, people tried to kill them. They tried to stone them to death as they traveled through that. And so out of concern for Jesus' well-being, the disciples bring this to his attention. Hey, Jesus, remember last time we went there? They tried to kill you, right? But I think there's something else going on there, too. I think they're also saying, hey, Jesus, we don't like having rocks thrown at our heads either. So are you sure? Are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this is the way we should be going? And while this discussion and debate is taking place between the disciples and Jesus, Thomas is the one who speaks up and says something to all the disciples that I'm sure got him a lot of dirty looks. What did he say? Thomas goes, hey, guys, let's go with them that we may die too. (sighs) You can imagine the darts just being shot at him as he goes, hey, guys, let's go die with him too. You see, the other disciples were fearful, and they were expressing these, these doubts to Jesus on his wisdom. Are you sure we should go that way? Are you sure that's the wisest course of action? But Thomas' statement informs our view of who he was beyond being a doubter. It shows us he was a man who was devoted to Jesus Christ. He was one who had daring courage. He had enough faith in Jesus Christ to place his life in the hands of Jesus. And he was willing to give his very life for Jesus. So one thing that we can learn from this passage is that perhaps doubting and perhaps having fears is not an accurate measurement of a person's devotion. Perhaps doubting and fears are not an accurate measure of one person's devotion. You know, there are a few things that can lead us into times of doubt and questions. Most commonly for a lot of people, it's when difficult situations come up. It's when trying moments in our lives appear and when we're challenged, such as the sudden loss of a loved one. Perhaps the terminal diagnosis that we receive or somebody close to us receives. When we see these natural disasters on TV, when we, when we hear about it, times of terrorism around the world, these are the types of things that cause us to stop our daily activities and to start to question the things of life, to question the choices we've made and the choices we will make going forward. It can even cause us to question the things of God and God himself. But this in and of itself, I want to suggest to you, is not sufficient to determine if a person has lost their devotion to Jesus. You know, one of the very first funerals I did was for a 13-year-old girl who died of a terminal illness. That was, that was so tragically difficult for all of us. But as you can imagine, even more so, just devastatingly so for mom and dad. And they had some hard thoughts. They had some very real, strong thoughts and emotions and words towards God. And they entered into a season of doubting. And so as I counseled mom and dad, uh, mom would talk to me and she would express these things to me. She would tell me what she was thinking and saying to God. She would show me some of the things that she was writing. And and I can just summarize it by saying it was brutally honest. 
what she was sharing with God during those moments. When I would talk to dad, he did something different. Dad would, dad would push him down. He, he would repress those thoughts and feelings because he had to be strong, right? That's what we do. We can't have time for doubts. We can't have time for questions. We got to be strong. I don't want someone to think I'm backsliding. I can't make somebody think that, that I am not standing strong in my faith. You know, the season that they went through could be referred to as probably nothing less than a, a desert moment. One of these moments where you feel empty inside and, and you're just filled with fear and anger. You're not sure what to make sense of the loss. It's disorientating to all aspects of your life as you go through these spiritual deserts. But mom chose to do the hard work to express these questions and doubts, and she resolved them in her mind, and she emerged from that desert more spiritually strong than when she entered into it. Dad, however, by repressing his doubts, by ignoring them, by not resolving them, he chose to sit down, and he spiritually died in that desert. He no longer reads his Bible, no longer prays, no longer goes to church. If you ask him about God, he kind of smirks and asks you questions back about why would he ever believe in such a thing. He sat down and spiritually died in that desert. You know, two approaches and two outcomes to how we deal with and resolve some of the doubts and questions that come up in these difficult times of life. It reminds me of something that was written by Dr. Oz Guinness in a book that he wrote called In Two Minds where he said, if ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt. If doubt is eventually satisfied, we were believing what clearly was not worth believing in the first place. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger still. You see, keeping doubts secret, keeping them unexamined, will not only negatively affect us spiritually, but it may also mean that we're actually clinging to things and to beliefs that, well... They're not valid. They're not worth charting our lives by if we live an unexamined faith. But it takes courage to admit that we have these doubts and questions. And it takes even more courage to press into them. But I can promise you this, that it is worth the effort to do so. Because not only will you find resolution to those doubts and those questions if you press into them, but you will also emerge from them with a stronger, bolder, more pure faith than when you started the process. From time to time, all of us will have doubts about the things of life and the things of God. May we be a people of courage, a people of courage who honestly acknowledge them. But I pray that we would also be a people of grace, that we would be a graceful people who create a safe place where we can find resolution to these difficult parts of life. So from this very first account of Thomas, we can see that doubting Thomas is actually also a man of devotion and courage. Attributes we may not often associate with him before looking at a broader picture of who he was. But these attributes of courage and boldness will actually enable him to honestly speak up, will enable him to ask the hard questions when necessary, such as in a time when Jesus was talking to his disciples near the end of his ministry. It's recorded in John chapter 14. And he says to them in this passage that he has some disturbing news. He says, you know, guys, I'm only going to be with you a short while longer. I need to go back to the Father. But if I go back to the Father, I'll prepare a place for you. But the good news is, guys, you know where I'm going, and you know the way there. Now, the disciples had learned much about Jesus by this point. They, they knew where the Father was. They knew the Father was in heaven. 
But they also knew that the only way to get to heaven was to die. And well, Jesus couldn't die. Like, like this is at the end of three and a half years with him. This is in the upper room on the night before. They didn't know at this point, but this is on the night before that he was going to be arrested and tried and crucified. They figured that we have journeyed three and a half years with this guy. We are now in Jerusalem. He can't die because he's about to rule and reign forever. And if he's dead, how in the world is he going to rule and reign? So as I envision this scene, as Jesus shares these difficult words with them, that the disciples are kind of taking in these, this sharing that Jesus has with them, and, and they're thinking about it and pondering these words just spoken to them. And they're kind of nodding in agreement. Okay, But then Thomas, Thomas is just confused. He, he's not nodding along in agreement with these guys. He's looking at them thinking, why are you guys nodding? You guys are just as confused as I am as to what's going on here. So he probably waited for Peter. Peter, you're the spokesman. Are you going to say something? Nobody? Nothing? No one else? He thinks, well, fine then, guys. I'm just going to say what everybody else is thinking anyways. And he, he pipes up and goes, Lord, we have no idea where you're going. God, God, we have no idea what you're talking about. How can we know the way if we have no idea where you're going? See, at the risk of looking foolish, at the risk of being perceived as a dullard, he's the only one in that room who was willing to admit he had no understanding of what was taking place, what Jesus was talking about. But he had questions that needed to be resolved. And even if that means he has to go it alone, even if it means he's going to lose face in the crowd, he is going to have his questions resolved. I think this is part of the reason that we, we don't often admit our doubts in church circles. What if, what if I'm the only one? What if they think there's something wrong with me? What if I express my question or I let people know that I have doubts and they label me a backslider? What if they say, well, I have immature faith? What if they suggest that I've lost my salvation along the way? What if they tell me I must not love Jesus enough? These are very real concerns that people have when they wrestle with these inner struggles, which is why we need to create a safe place, a, a grace place, if you will, where people can share these things and journey through these times. Otherwise, the alternative is that doubts get repressed. They never see the light of the day, and if they never see the light of the day, they never get resolved. But I also think that this tension and this challenge is why we don't often share our faith with other people either. Well, what if they ask me something I don't know? Or worse yet, what if they ask me something that I do know I'm doubting about and I'm forced to come up with an answer? What if I have to lie to them? What if I give them an answer and I look foolish in the crowd? You know, fear and doubt are bedfellows that, that hinder authentic community and render our witness ineffective if we allow fear and doubt to reign in our lives. But that is not the reality of who we have been called to be. That is not the reality of who we are if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Paul talks about this when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, that's not who you are, Timothy. God did not give us a spirit of fear. God gave us a spirit of power. He gave us a spirit of love. He gave us a spirit of sound-mindedness. That is the truth of who we are if we are in Christ. And if we allow fear to rule the day, we have bought into a lie. And that is worth questioning. And that is worth doubting. Now the fear that's talked about here is, is in reference to apprehension. It's talking about cowardice. Call somebody a coward, you'll get a reaction out of them. Apprehension and cowardice is what it's referring to here. These things that keep us from faithfully serving God to the things that he's called us to. I'll share a little story with you about how this can possibly look. 
Back in 1995, you might remember that following the, uh, the federal building bombings in Oklahoma City where 168 people were killed and 680 were injured, that the, the United States was reeling from that, that, that such a terrorist act would happen on their home soil. And so people were turning with questions and doubts and wanting to have things resolved. And one person they turned to was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham was asked by a reporter one time, why would God allow such a thing to happen? Now, he could have chosen to to come up with a discourse about the existence of good and evil, the, the sovereignty of God, or any other myriad of theological responses to that question, all of which would have been very sound, would have been very accurate, But this evangelist who was famous around the world for confidently declaring what the Bible says instead had the humility and courage to simply say, I don't know. He just said, I don't know. That takes courage. It takes courage to admit that some things defy adequate explanation. It takes courage to admit that sometimes, even if I have an intellectual answer for you, it's just not going to be emotionally satisfying. So at this moment, I really don't know what to say to help the hurt that you feel. You see, fear could have caused him to to cower. It could have caused him to avoid the interviewer, to dodge the question altogether, to find a way to work around it, to do a political spin on the question. Doubts may have made him feel apprehensive where he was forced to manufacture an answer. He was forced to say something because I can't let them know that I'm wrestling with this too. But that's not the reality of the state in which we find ourselves if we will claim the truth of this verse. The truth of this verse that we have a spirit of power at work within us. A spirit of power so that we can courageously press into the tough situations in which God leads us. But that spirit of power, that power is not of our own, praise God. It's of the spirit at work within us, not in our own power that we have. We also have the spirit of love, of love for God and of love for others, which can enable us to humbly and honestly admit that we don't have all the answers, that we struggle sometimes too. And you know what, folks? Sometimes the answer, I don't know, is the best answer because it's honest. It's authentic. I believe that people who are also on a journey towards Christ will respect that answer. And it can disarm them. And perhaps they too will follow the example of openness and share their doubts and their questions when they see that we don't have it all figured out. But then we also have the spirit of soundness of mind. Soundness of mind comes from from doing the work necessary to resolve the doubts that we have. As we gain that soundness of mind, we also have the opportunity to create an environment of, of grace and charity that others can come and work through their doubts and find resolution as well. You know, from time to time, we will all have these doubts. But do we have the courage to omit them? Do we have the courage to resolve them? I pray that we would have that boldness of Thomas to speak out, speak up, when we have those questions and those doubts. That we would omit the areas where we're challenged. We would share that with people, that I'm challenged by something. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with, with a truth I used to hold, but in the light of my current situation and circumstances, they're conflicting, and I need to wrestle to the truth of that. That we would have the courage to acknowledge areas we may not agree upon. But that we'd also, in the midst of that, have the love and compassion where this would be a place where people can talk about those tough questions and can enter into them and journey through them. You know, from these passages about Thomas, I, I hope we've started to gain a broader understanding of who this doubter was. 
But I also pray that we'll have an appreciation for the importance of courageously admitting our own doubts and seeking to resolve them. You know, getting back to that passage in John chapter 20, after Jesus appeared to all the disciples and, and Thomas had his doubts resolved by his encounter with the risen Savior, he declared the words, my Lord and my God. You see, this was, this was a moment of declaring that he had had his doubts resolved and that he was fully on board, he was fully in again. And that he had seen Jesus Christ. He, he had talked to him. He had placed his hands where the wounds still appeared. And he now believed. But Jesus has the final word in that passage. Jesus has the final word in it because after Thomas declares, my Lord and my God, Jesus makes a statement that I think carries through and applies to every person from that day forward who would hear the good news. He says to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, I think in this verse, Jesus is acknowledging that when people hear that he's God in flesh, when people hear that he came to teach about their heavenly father, when, when he came to teach about the kingdom of God to reveal that, when he came to leave a, an example for us to live out, to, to leave his mark upon history, that when people hear that ultimately he came to die upon a cross to pay the price for our sins, these sins that separate us from God and prevent us from having eternal relationship with him, that when people hear that having given his life, he was raised from the dead and exalted to the highest place, and that because of his sacrifice, that we can now have an eternal relationship with God, I think that when people hear that, they're going to have questions. They're going to have some doubts that need to be resolved. But even after a person accepts that for themselves, that doesn't inoculate, that doesn't make them immune to having these moments of question. This is something that Chuck Swindoll addressed in a book that he wrote called Getting Through the Tough Stuff. And here's how he refers to these times of doubting. He says, times of doubting become schoolrooms of learning. As we work through them, a new kind of faith is forged. It will come slow, and that's healthy. It's becoming shaped on the anvil of God's mysterious plan, some of which we will not be able to fully understand and explain. But that's okay, too. I love how he puts that. That times of doubting become the schoolroom of learning. See, Thomas had doubts. I can admit at times in some seasons I've had doubts in my life. And I hope that gives you a sense of freedom. That if you right now or in the past or in the future have these doubts, that you can acknowledge those as well. And then follow in Thomas's footsteps to take the risk. To pursue the truth. To resolve those doubts, even at the risk of appearing impulsive. People might think you're slow to faith. People might think you lack faith. But his willingness to take this and other risks was his greatest attribute because it showed that he was fully devoted to Jesus Christ to the point where he was willing to die beside Jesus if it ever came to that. And he was also willing to show that he was truly in search of truth and understanding and he was not satisfied with just easy answers. And his pursuit was honored. Because in the presence of Jesus Christ, his doubts were resolved. Now, years after that account, Jesus' brother James would write a, a beautiful book, Book of James, we have in the, in the back of the New Testament of the Bible. And in there, he would read, he would write a passage that we read part of today during the service. In there, he says that if any of us lack wisdom, if any of us have those doubts, those questions that we can't resolve, we can't answer in our own lives, 
that we should seek resolution for them. How do we do that? We can do it by asking God, who will give to us without finding fault and who will honor your search. Because see, doubting in and of itself is not a sin. But if our response to doubting is to sit down in the desert and die, well, that is. We need to engage in the tough stuff of life to have those resolved. You know, if you don't yet consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we're glad you're here today. We truly are glad that you're here today. And it's my hope that some of these questions and doubts, these things that may keep you from taking that step of placing your faith in him, would not be ignored by you, but that you would choose to press into those things and to examine them, to examine them for yourself. Now, who is Jesus Christ? What does it mean that he loves me and that he died for me? What difference can that make in my life now and in my life eternally? And it's also my hope that you will find West Meadows to be a place where you can engage in those challenges and in that journey. If I can be of assistance to you, if any of the pastors can be of assistance to you, please do not hesitate to contact us or simply find us in the foyer following the service and we would love to enter into that journey with you and answer some questions you may have or help you find them together. But if you already are a follower of Jesus Christ, perhaps you're in a season of doubt right now due to some circumstances that may be happening in your life that are causing you to be very challenged Or you might be one of those people who just seems to constantly be plagued by doubts. Where it's not a season, it's just an ongoing challenge that you battle. If that's the case, you may be here living in fear. Fear of what people would think if they found out that that's really what goes on in your mind and in your heart. You may be wondering if a Christian who has doubts like that and wrestles with faith at that point will ever emerge. Well, I want to tell you today that absolutely, yes, you can emerge from it that it requires you to probe the uncertain. It requires you to press into that darkness that might be uncomfortable and difficult. It will require you to take off the mask that hides those doubts and that pushes them down and represses them. It will require you to let others in, to journey with you for a while as we enter into authentic community together. But if you will commit to that relentless pursuit of truth that can be found through the Bible, can be found through times of prayer, can be found through reflection upon God's provision and goodness to you in the past. It can be found in dialoguing and in walking with somebody for a while, another godly person. That if you will press into that and have the courage to do that, I am confident that you will find resolution to those questions. And that like Thomas, you will reach a point where you can declare, my Lord and my God. Because doubts dissolve in the presence of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to send your Son. That we may have the opportunity to know you personally, to to live with you in the here and now and eternally in relationship with our Heavenly Father. God, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ where he gave his life to pay that price for our sins, to make this all possible. But Lord, at times there are doubts and questions that come up in the minds of those who are seeking you, in the minds of those who have already committed to following you. God, I pray we would be a place where we can have open dialogue and we can journey through the tough stuff together for the purpose of which stronger faith, pure faith would emerge. Examined faith that stands the test of time, that has gone through the fire and emerges with all the extra removed. That we would stand confidently before you and before each other, acknowledging, Lord, that you love us and we love you. 
pray this in Jesus' name.